probably hit him where it's gon' hurt Black car, I'ma need a white chauffeur Big stars from afar, I'm a goner Far gone, still present, it's an honor Ever since I could remember, I've been popping my collar Popping my collar, pop, popping my collar Yeah, I still remember eating up the peach cobbler Peach cobbler, eating up the peach cobbler Nigga like me, made amends with my father Nigga like me, can't pretend to be bothered Living life truthful, the usual author Navy blues, clues, and the cues getting conquered Couple screws loose, gotta tighten up, alter Sister say be weary of the lonely night crawlers Seeing shit clearly now, if I'm being honest Things I really hate about myself are in the gauntlet Hurting just a memory, forever been a target Clarity the remedy, and therapy the hardest All I couldn't dare to see was never worth the bargain Burning like it's kerosene, I'm plotting on the harvest Gotta rock the amethyst, surrounded by the garden Spirits like the revenant, they hiding in the carcass Cousin out the jam again, relationships tarnished Navy came from socialists, I'm reading all the Marxists Going down the road again, I'm fleeing from the All right, Quentin, we're back And uh, this week we are burning hot soup Uh, Quentin, how are you doing today? I'm good, I'm good Uh, Actually enjoyed wrestling for once, kind of Nice You know, it was... I'm kidding, but like you know, yeah, <laughs> it's yeah. like wrestling. <laughs> like the stuff that I, I actually like the stuff I watched. Uh, well, we have one disappointing show we're going to talk about, but the other stuff I watched, I, I enjoy. I, I enjoyed it quite a bit. Other than that, uh, dealing with the spring and all this rain and whatever else, but I'm fine for the most part. How are you? Yeah, uh, about the same. About the same. Nothing exciting. It's actually pretty boring around here. Um, yeah. Dog training stuff got postponed last week. Didn't happen because the dog trainer broke her finger. Uh, so that was fun. Um, How'd she do that? Uh, I don't know the details. I just know that it happened, which is, yeah, who knows. And then uh, may not happen again this week because of it. So we'll see. Um, either way, Fred's been acting a lot better, though. So I'm going to I'm gonna say whatever. It doesn't matter. It's kind of working either way. The training is working. Um, so that's good. Otherwise, yeah. I went to a wrestling show, I guess, last weekend on... Saturday, I went to the first show for Circle Six. Um, Quentin, I don't know if you saw anything about this or heard anything about this at all. I haven't, no. Okay, so Circle Six, I guess, is like a money mark promotion put together uh, by Atticus Kogar. Uh, Atticus Kogar. Really? Thinking that he's uh, too big too big of a star for the way that he gets treated in, uh, in um, GCW, and it's time for him to... Uh, to spread his wings, you know, and, and become a big deal, you know, doesn't like, you know, he's part of the 440 crew, doesn't like that uh, the 440 crew just kind of got shit canned after RSP loses the title, treated like nothing, not happy with his position. Uh, I guess, you know, rumors, innuendo, all this stuff, it was rumored that the whole Nick Gage signing with GCW contract thing had something to do with Circle Six attempting to poach Nick Gage basically away from GCW and have him be... Uh, in their fold as their big new thing. Um, so yeah, this was, uh, hmm, how do I put it? Not a great show, I'll say. Uh, the first half was basically, I only stayed for the first half and took off at an intermission, which was good. Um, 
or good enough. Like what I saw was fine. Um, but, uh, but then afterwards, after I left, it seemed like everything went to hell and was the kind of the shitty matches and the death matches. Um, and, uh, and then, uh, then the stream got taken down on Twitch. They claimed that the power went out then they went back up and they went back up on Facebook, which I found very funny. I was just like, if you're going to live stream, why would you go back up on Facebook instead of just going up on YouTube or something normal? But, uh, why would you expect that from a wrestling company run by Atticus Kogar? Right. Um, Chris Daniel versus Ricky Shane Page opened fine, fine stuff. Uh, you know, professional wrestling match, nothing crazy. Tyler Bateman versus Atticus Kogar or uh, Otis Kogar, ridiculous. Uh, there was people chanting for Otis Kogar. I didn't realize that anyone was fans of this fucking guy, but there were big time fans of this fucking guy in the crowd. Uh, it's ridiculous. Um, DQ'd for pulling scissors out of his pocket. One of the stupidest fucking things I've ever seen. Um, Otis Kogar gets DQ'd against Tyler Bateman. Tyler Bateman looked fine. I've always been pretty high on Tyler Bateman. He looks good here, but it's just such a bummer to see him and remember, uh, when he first started showing up in the SoCal scene and thinking this was going to be a guy who could break out and be a star and all this. And now where his career has gone after all these years, uh, this is where he's at, you know, whatever it is, what it is. Then I saw... The trios match that we saw happen two different times already in West Coast Pro Wrestling, and then a third time here in Circle Six, the conglomerate, Alpha Zoe, D Rogue, and Midas Creed versus a version of 440, Eddie Only, Eric Ryan, and uh, Greg Irons. And these guys fucking rocked, man. I mean, they like, they got all their spots down. Eddie Only, never been a fan of Eddie Only, really. In person, though, I kind of liked his, his vibe. He's kind of nice with it, playing the Stooge. Kind of fucking, like, sleazy, hit all of his spots, very professional, funny, all that stooging, bumping around. Every, like I said, all the spots were, like, tight. Everyone was in their spots. And another guy that really fucking stood out to me... Okay, D-Rogue, I've talked about how much how I think he's good, but, like, his charisma is off the charts in person. Like, this guy, big, fills up the room with his presence. He comes out to begin with, and he's standing on the stage, so people are giving him a little bit of something. Um, I will say that they come out to an E-40 song that's uh, that I'm not even familiar with. I think it's like a newish one, but the beat kind of sucks um, for for a wrestling intro. I think that it doesn't... Uh it doesn't speak to like getting the crowd hyped when it starts because it starts out with one song and then it's the one that switches over to like something else where they're saying like we be whatever to whatever to rock to rap and i don't even know what they're fucking saying um and then e4 then the beach switches e40 starts rapping and then it's like just a completely different song and it just doesn't to me i'm like there's plenty of great e40 songs that you could use as your theme and this is just not one of them but uh d rogue gets onto the gets onto the stage and basically is like, he looks at the crowd and he says, get the fuck up on your feet. And then everybody stood up and started going crazy and like getting into it. And they're, dan you know, they're dancing around the ring. They're getting everybody hyped. And I'm just like, fuck, this rocks. Um, like I said, D-Rogue, insane, insane charisma. One piece, like uh, t-shirt, one piece gear. I was like, okay, this guy's like total anime nerd guy. Um, so that's pretty cool to see that. And uh, the real standout to me was Alpha Zoe. I thought nothing of this motherfucker at all but when he got in there and they were doing they were kind of teasing like a, like basically um eric ryan just out wrestling the the other two so so midas creed comes in and he gets just fucking completely shit canned by eric ryan like grappling wise okay then d rogue comes in same thing he can't keep up with him alpha zoe comes in instantly squares up and you could tell that this guy's a fucking shooter he's got like amateur background tosses him around but you know throws him big fucking overhead suplex and then comes 
firing off the ropes with just a big-ass running Busaiku kind of knee kick Shining Wizard that instantly I was like, this motherfucker looks is moving like Samoa Joe. Like, the way that he's wrestling and the way that he moves, he's big, he's thick, he's got the two-tone tights, but they're um, pink and blue, and I'm just like, okay, this guy's doing, like, Samoa Joe cosplay, and, like, really actually excelling at it. Throwing him around, out grappling, wrestling, big strikes, and I'm just like, holy shit, dude, like... I would have never thought anything of Alpha Zoe up until this point, but in person, watching him do this shit, he is so fucking good. And he's another one of these guys, he's impressive, and he reminded me, he, he hit the athletic plex, the spin, the, the, the this kind of spinning um, side suplex that Jeff Cobb does, and I was like, oh yeah, this is like the Jeff Cobb thing too, because you can't tell how big and thick he is on tape as well until you see him in person, so he's like a big, thick dude, not super tall, insanely strong, insanely fast. Just a guy that I'm going to keep an eye on. Because I'm just like, okay, this Alpha Zoe guy looks pretty fucking good, man. Um, so I'll recommend uh, people check that out. Um, Robert Martyr versus Jake Chris. Dog shit match. And I was shocked at how big Robert Martyr is. I thought he would be a really small guy. But he's kind of in the middle. He's not tiny. Um, and Brody King versus Biff Music was the fucking just ruled. These guys beat the fuck out of each other. I was going nuts for Biff the second the music hit. Um, and yeah, they just kicked the shit out of each other. Biff is fucking back. Uh, nonstop action. Just, yeah, that, that rocked. Yeah, then, you know, the post afterwards. Um, Slack and Jacob Fatu in a death match, whatever. I, I saw that on the stream. Saw Bobby Beverly versus Vinny Massaro in a Taipei death match on the stream until it ended. It was fine for, for what it was. Uh, you know, doing like a storytelling kind of version of a Taipei death match. And then didn't even care to watch Masada versus Kogar. Fuck that. Atticus Kogar and Masada both suck. But either way, really fucking weird. Crowd was insanely odd. Um, but yeah, Alpha Zoe, Biff Busick, uh, Brody King. Those were the standouts of... Uh, of the show but yeah man I, w I would say i like i know you've seen a little bit of them just for the stuff that we've reviewed but but uh alpha zo man keep an eye on that guy he's always he's always pretty good so i'm definitely gonna 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 sneak it out there trust your recommendations with these kind of guys yeah yeah i was shocked man like i said i didn't expect to i didn't come in there expecting anything i like the conglomerate thought d rogue is cool and then as soon as he hit started hitting some spots i was like okay this motherfucker has actually got something here um yeah you know needs to work on the personality but the in-ring is there um all right so quentin is there anything any other little random things or anything you wanted to talk about uh no nah, i think everything that because I, I tried to squeeze in some noah before uh for this i did not didn't have the time to but otherwise everything that i saw we're gonna want up talking about on the show so we all right get, sounds good yeah it. yeah what do you want to get into first i guess feel free um Let's get the disappointing one out the way first, I guess. Let's talk about DDT. All right. Sounds good to me. Um, so how much of this DDT stuff did you did you watch? Of the whole Judgment show? Yeah, because... Okay, so here's the thing. There was not just the Judgment show. There was, like... There was the Judgment Limited. There was, like, a couple days before. There was the... The free match of uh, Michael Nakazawa versus Shingo... Or... Uh, oh, God his name Sochihiro yeah Sochihiro uh, Takagi um and then there was uh there was also I think like a Basara um special show I'm gonna assume you just watched the regular judgment yeah just watched the regular judgment show okay I checked out the um judgment unlimited thing just basically just the main event which was a captain's fall uh tag team match between uh 37 Kamina and um and burning pretty good 
Um, felt like they were trying to build, you know, helping to build to Indo Takashita thing. Um, Junakiyama looks great. Yoki Oeno and Junakiyama look really good together. You know, that's the that's kind of the, the takeaways there. Um, the show also had a Chris Books versus Hiroshima match that was really good. Um, and it's just, yeah, it was a little, <laughs> it's a bummer, like, watching this and being, like, there was stuff on here that was much better than stuff we get on Judgment, you know? And it's just, yeah. But, uh, so, yeah, so the Judgment show itself. Um, I'll say, overall, these big DDT shows, I've talked about it many times, but the big DDT shows are the ones that I like the least. And this was a really good example of it. Um, even the wrestlers that I really like, if they're not in the main event, they get usually stuck in some bullshit tag match with a bunch of extra people because they're just trying to get everybody on the card kind of situation. Um, it's always insanely long. The show, this show is insanely long, but somehow it did kind of breeze by, which was kind of impressive in a weird way. Even if it wasn't great, it didn't uh, really drag super bad. But yeah, and then this one really doesn't deliver because the main event was super weak but i guess uh quentin what did you think overall yeah it's like usually you, you at least hope the main event delivers but sometimes like the tag the tag might the tag might deliver the tag titles might deliver or there might be a special there might be a special uh a special attraction match or even a six-man tag might deliver in the uh you know from 37 Kamina or Back in the all-out days, you might get a really good six-man tag and stuff like that. And, like, I feel like that's missing from these cards at this point. For how I might still enjoy aspects of DDT's comedy, I'm still always going to enjoy seeing Harada. I'm always going to enjoy, like, a Sanjihiro Takagi, big, all-out arena brawl type of match. Is that the stuff to really sink your teeth into on these big cards just hasn't shown up lately. And... I think it's super glaring when we talk about the main event and how long the main event goes. And that's not really an issue for me for the most part, but it's like an expectation of, okay, I've seen these two do it before on a big stage. I've seen these two go out there on Peter Pan, the biggest stage and, and do it. And maybe I have too high, too high of expectations for that particular matchup. Maybe like, as I look back on it, those expectations for that matchup aren't exactly warranted, but yeah, from, the tag titles to even like the Akiyama, Akiyama and Amori versus Higuchi and Okatani tag. Everything is just, it's good. It's fine, but it's not giving me anything that is going to stick with me. And for a promotion that for a long time you could have said was the best promotion in the world on an in-ring basis. It's, it's starting to, you know, I don't know what I'm supposed to be really getting attached to when it comes to DDC right now. And like that's not all Kanesuke Takashita's fault. We've talked about it with Takashita when we did the wrestler of the uh, wrestlers of the pandemic podcast, but I think this has just been a general issue with DDT that's been building for the last few years, honestly. And I remember everyone thinking I was crazy for being like, "No, I'm not happy about the fact that Hiroshima won the belt uh, the last time he had the KOD Openweight title." But to me, I've had issues with DDT since then. Yeah, and obviously going back to like the Masato Tanaka reign and stuff like that, I've had issues with a lot of different stuff from DDT for the last couple of years, and I think now we've reached a point where I love DDT, you love DDT, we've spent a lot of time watching and reviewing DDT, but it's to the point where I'm like, I don't really know what I'm supposed to be into with this company right now. Yeah, I mean, there is some really befuddling booking on this show, honestly, and you have all the pieces there, and you just, if you're gonna just book whatever. 
you know, and not have too much of, of a story situation to it, and you're just trying to get people on the card, uh, that's fine. But then just book book good matches, and it's like you've got a ton of possible good tag teams and you know wrestlers available, and then they're like mixed around in other matches other tag team matches like why is eruption not having an actual tag team with the, you know the real team like why are you getting yukio Ueno um in you know in just like a whatever match that's like kind of almost feels like it's just to meant to be like a special attraction feature match for kodaka who's not even <laughs> very good like you know like what's the fucking point of of ueno who up until this point and I even talked about it in the Captain's Fall match from the, the, the kind of build-up show. Um, feels like he's being built up as, you know, this number three, number four guy. Um, and then on this show, he's just nothing. He's doing nothing. He's not really, like, his match is not important. Um, you've got a couple a couple matches that I think really over-delivered and were um, impressive to me on the, on the show that, like, are really the saving grace but I guess even just that confusion, I guess we can get into the review. I think that that confusion of what I'm talking about even starts in the first match, the pre-show six-man tag team match, where you've got the good Okada, the cop Okada, um, in a pre-match dark show six-man. He's one of the better wrestlers on the fucking roster. Get him in, get him in something decent, especially because he's involved with the big one of the bigger units in the company. Why is he wrestling here? Why is he here with young boys who he's way above their league you know like it, it's it's kind of shocking to me to put him here and it just kind of shows that like again like i said it really questioned what they were looking for to book here because you're not building anything here there's no real point to this other than maybe you know like i said just trying to get people on the show and you've got a really good wrestler and you're just kind of wasting it so yeah i don't i don't even know if you watched the pre-show trios match here but yeah i thought that was yeah, fucking uh, yeah, didn't watch any, i didn't watch any of the pre-show stuff but i'm like i'm like skimming through it to get to the point of stuff that i was gonna watch and i'm like huh it's kind of weird he's just in a pre-show tag yeah found found, found up found that a little strange like it's like certain people you kind of just accept things about what their status is in the company like akito like, they'll occasionally give akito something to sink his teeth into on one of these cards like remember we remember one time we just got that really good akito versus t-hawk match They'll throw us a bone sometimes with stuff like that, but otherwise, here's Akito thrown in, thrown into a match uh, on Lily on Lilico's team facing uh, facing Dino's pervert team. Yeah, exactly. Like, it's, it's like you know, it's at that point with Akito, you just kind of accept it. You understand his place in the DDT pecking order, but with Okada, you're like, what the, uh, the fuck? What, like, <laughs> there wasn't anything he could do on here. You couldn't, yeah. You know, Okatani's actually interruption and everything. So it's like. But like, how much better is that tag with with uh with Omori and Akiyama if Okada's Higuchi's tag team partner is set or something or something like that? Well, like, I I was even looking at that and saying, okay, if you really you know whatever like fantasy booking whatever, throw him on the team with Akiyama because you know the burning team have uh Higuchi in the, on the eruption team do a trios match and then if you really want to have Kodaka on the show as a special, throw him into the three way hardcore match just make a four-way hardcore match and have kodaka in there and he doesn't have to like stink up the show you know what i mean like that to me i'm like okay that makes a lot more sense you want to have like a special oh like just feature kodaka on the show for some reason just to have him there he's not a big star i don't feel like he draws like hide him in a in a hardcore match where he doesn't have to do much and then get okada on the fucking main show in a what would be a much better match 
So I just, yeah, it's fucking insane to me. Um, and again, like I said, this is just the first example of like, clearly I don't know what the fuck they're booking for here. Um, do you want to do you want to get, get into the? Yeah, yeah I'm, like, I'll continue. Do you, do you really want to do a whole show thing? Because obviously we we like we no. DDC. We have no problem with the comedy, but it's like, you know, it just is what it is. Sure. So like, I guess we can point out like bits that were notable notable to us. Like for me, like the highlights are obviously like the ten man tag, and um, Takagi versus Nakazawa. But other but other than that, as far as okay. the comedy stuff goes, yeah, I, don't yeah. really got any, I don't really got anything like to say about it. The pre-show tag battle royal was whatever. There was some comedy and there was some whatever. It was, you know, fine. Um, I thought that uh, uh, Naya, Yukio Naya, actually is starting to develop a little bit. And I think that the team with Hino is probably helping him um, to, to learn a little, a little bit from Hino would be a good thing for him. Um, but yeah, either way. Um, let's see. Uh, Ten-man tag. You know what? Talk to me about the ten-man tag because I didn't get much out of it um i mean like it's not really much to say other than like i just I lo- i've always loved harada i've always okay. really enjoyed his what he brings to these like whether it's the battle royals or the tags or whatever else i've always just loved harada and you know his like the the whole his whole bit never gets old to me i can't really say i can't say that about a bunch of people on the ddt roster like at some point their act gets old to me I'll always be excited for Harada and the dance number. That is always just cool to me. So to see him come <laughs> okay. out, try the dance number, he comes back out almost like Joker-fied and shit, and then doing a different dance routine, I thought was really funny. Yeah. No, I'll give you that. Like, Harada is, um, and the dance number and the whole spot is definitely, it's fun. But yeah, I thought maybe you were, like, giving, talking more to the match. I mean, you know, but yeah, that's, I, I'm with you on that, um, that, you know, for the comedy and the little bits, it was, it, for the bits, it was good. Um... I think it's weird, like, the, the, the I mean, at least they moved the titles, but the 10-man tag team titles are on four people, and it's been a four-man team since they won the titles. Like, it's it's very, very odd, um, you know, but whatever. Um, and, and also the fact that one of the members of the team is a uh, sex doll, so, like, it's really a three-person team and a sex doll than it has been since they won the championships. Um, either way, yeah. Poison's, uh, Sawada, Julie, it was, uh, I like seeing, uh, seeing them on the, you know, get a spot on the show. Um... Did you watch Saki Akai versus uh, Maya Yuki Hai? Yuki? No, I did not. Did not check it out. Um, fine, decent match. Um, I seen Saki Akai's finish a few times, but this was the first time that I watched it, and it hit me that it's a um, it's basically like a uh, a abdominal stretch driver, and I had never really crossed my mind before that that's what it is. I guess it's also kind of like a like a weird variation of like a La Casita driver. But like, you know, I was thinking about, I, you know why it crossed my mind is because I was recently thinking about God's last gift, the old Seth Rollins, Tyler Black yeah. move. And I was like, Oh, you know, like it's kind of, it's kind of the same concept where it's like, it's a hold, but then you turn it into a driver and then hold the pin for the combination. Um, so yeah, I, 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 that had never crossed my mind. I mean, it's such a goofy looking move either way. There was drama in this and they, they like, that was the best part of it. The wrestling itself was pretty whatever, but from what I can tell, that's kind of the TJP thing, right? Like it's, they're more about like emotion and drama and stuff and less about like really good wrestling, uh, which right. is fine. Uh, you know, I don't really watch a ton of it. It's weird cause they do have some good wrestlers, but it seems like, like all the good wrestlers, uh, just go to. AEW at this point um so yeah either way um yeah whatever um 
Okay, let's talk about this I'm Sorry match, because you're, I think you're, like, really high on it, match of the night kind of thing. I think I can get where you're coming from. This was definitely the heights of what, uh, what the DDT kind of thing was all about when, when you think about it. I mean, obviously, Hustle was the first one to do it, but DDT has taken up the mantle of basically being Attitude Era sports entertainment in Japan. Um, and this just feels like it's finally come full circle where that stuff is kind of, like, cool again. And uh, it is funny to think, like, uh, Takagi's basically just been doing it the whole time. And now it's yeah. coming back, you know, and now people are, like, into it again. But, uh, yeah, Quentin, give me your thoughts on this. I mean, yeah, it's, like, it was it was cool to see Michael Nakazawa back and everything and uh, just see him back in this environment. We've seen him stooging in AEW for a while, and it was just cool to see him back back here and back and back and back in his uh, natural environment doing 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 this kind of stuff and... Yeah, I always love these big Takagi tags. I always love these big goofy things of him in the Tokyo him in the Tokyo Dome going around the baseball arena and shit like that. And I feel like it's not as good as that. It's not like quite as epic as in an adventurous. But between all the stuff with the plastic with the plastic tubs and the pile, and like re- revisiting the pile driver into the toilet and all that and all that stuff and even uh. Michael, Michael Nakazawa is trying to is trying to say sorry, but uh, Takagi keeps stuffing the piece of the piece of underwear into his mouth and not letting him say sorry. And he's about to put him up for what it looks like he's about to do. A, it looks like they're alluding to he's going to do a one winged angel through there, and um, it's like a, it's like the stacked up plastic tubs. And Takagi's making it seem like he's about to do a one winged angel through there. And uh, Nakazawa comes to and he's like, "No, wait, wait, I'm sorry, I'm sorry," and Takagi just throws him through the stack of plastic tubs anyway. I, I loved it. I thought it was really fun, and it's not like anything remarkable comedy-wise, I would say. It's not the greatest DDT comedy match I've ever seen or whatever. But as I look at the show, it's weird. It might be my favorite match on the show. It's And I'm not usually like that. Like There's usually something higher up on the card, one of the ser- one of the more serious matches that pulls me in that I'm more into. But yeah, that it didn't really happen on this on this on the show, so it might be the tag for it might be this uh not tag but this uh I'm sorry match. Yeah. Yeah, I can see that. And like I said, I, I, this is definitely very elemental DDT. This feels like quintessential DDT style math uh match. And Nakazawa getting mad color on his shoulders <laughs> through the tubs is very yeah. uh, like he's bleeding. You didn't uh you didn't watch the the match from the the free match from before where they're in the streets and stuff. It's, yeah, it's I a, didn't see I didn't see yeah, I didn't see that but like I like this. So I'll probably go back for it. Yeah, it's more of the same. It's definitely worthwhile to check out. Uh it's a little bit more like the old uh DDT like camp, not campground, but kind of in that style the vignettes, the the um the subway or the train, I guess it wasn't a subway. Um and like the you know, Abushi's haunted hotel, like those kind of vibes where they're more like cinematic and and uh, and vignettes outside of a wrestling setting, um, but still a lot of the same stuff. Um, yeah, so I'm with you. I think this is really good, but I think honestly there is one match later on in the show that it was clearly my match of the night, uh, just above this. Um, so yeah, follow this up tag team match. This is really where I'm talking about the booking and the stuff frustrating me, and I already talked about it enough a little bit in the preamble, but you've got like three of my favorite DDT wrestlers, two of which I think are probably the better, best top 
five wrestlers in the entire company in uh, Ueno and, and Sakaguchi, as far as I'm concerned. And you're, they're just in this tag that just feels like nothing unimportant. Uh, Osami, like I said, Osami Kadaka is just the kind of there again. Like I said, like what the fuck is like he's a feature player at? Like, am I fucking okay, out to so lunch? He, is Kadaka uh, like a big right. deal? He is. I'm not sure anymore though. Okay, more accurately, I can say he was. Right. That's kind of my point. Like Asami, yeah, I can't. Yeah, like I can't act like Asami Kadaka historically doesn't have any type of drawing credentials. He he does. Just in 2022, do I think he's still? That way, I don't know, but I guess you could say he's kind of like if you if you call him a DDT legend, would that be pushing it too far? I think so. No, like I think it is. I I I, I understand. <laughs> I'm just saying. Like I know he has a history and he has a drawing, you know, and kind of you can say that. But I also think he's like more you, and even then, I won't like pick it apart more than just to say like he's more of a freelancer. To me, I don't think of him as a DDT legend. You know, because he's, right. like, known for DDT, Basara, sure, same company, whatever. Freedoms, Big Japan. You know what I mean? Like, I think that he's more known for, like, getting all around. Even all Japan. Like, yeah, but, he, but he's also, I think he's a, I think he's, like, a at least two-time KOD champion. Like, there was a triple threat. There was, he main evented a Peter Pan. I think that was a triple threat with him, Kenny, and Harashima, I think. Like, he, ha- he has credentials in DDT. So, like, I get what you're, I get what you're saying, and I can understand being confused by it. I'm just saying what their rationale like sure. might be when it comes to him. Sure, sure. Um, all right. Moving on. Uh, Six-man tag uh, for Lilico's kind of retirement. Lilico. Um, against, with Akito, like you said, which is weird. And Rio uh, uh, Hei Odai, which I guess is her husband or fiance, whatever. Um, against pheromones I think maybe if it wasn't for how much pheromones are like turn off the channel heat to me at this point uh, maybe I could see this because you're just trying to get heat on the on the heel tag team through like a uh, an emotional story or whatever and you're getting the cathartic payoff for Lilico but I'm not like insanely emotionally invested in Lilico and uh, it, I don't like pheromones is it weird that like is it weird that Dino works better as a babyface um no i don't think so because it's this is kind of weird because it's like you see this and it like i gotta say not liking dino in general but with this it just is a little bit more uncomfortable than the baby face stuff yeah yeah i i guess something about dino being in on the joke or being like a lovable guy who's like a bit of a scamp like i think helps to helps at least for me to have some plausible de- deniability when it comes to the gay panic aspect of his character right yeah, th- this is just like straight like villainous yeah like gross shit yeah like he's a lecherous <laughs> gay man who's like taking advantage of people and, and just being disgusting and like when he's a baby face like i said it's kind of like he's you know he's a lovable scamp who's messing with other people it's kind of like the gold you know the gold, which is funny because gold dust was a heel but it's the gold dust thing where it's like is he really gay or is it mind games? You know, when he's a baby right. face, you can kind of buy into that. You know, is it, is it, and it's not just, and the, and it's not just, oh my God, it's so disgusting that he's being gay. It's, you know what I mean? It's, it's like, oh, you know, oh, we like him. It's fun. So yeah, he's just, to me, much better as a baby face. Um, and I'm, and I'm just upset that they got Eno doing Yes, that. and that's the other part of it, too, is Eno... Eno went all out here. This motherfucker's wearing a jock strap, and I was seeing... Uh, yeah, he's yeah he's 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 all in on this shit. It, I'm, yeah. 
He, he was doing <laughs> some power, lot, man. some power <laughs> squats with his ass pointed towards the the the, the fans. They never got it on camera, but I'm like. Jockstrap doesn't cover your fucking your your asshole, man. Like he's giving he's yeah. full assholing people like with a no, bare asshole. No, the thing about like you, there's full nudity in DDT for sure. Yeah, like I'm just like this guy. <laughs> yeah, they do not they do not mind. Um, but yeah, so I don't know. You have anything to say about this? Because I, I I I got nothing here. No, like I want I, Dino as a heel is just a little bit too much for me, and it sucks that Eno's doing this and like Akito. It, it's just what it is for him. I yeah. get it. Like I know that he's not a big star in DDT. I get it, but like it's he could have been he could have been useful somewhere. Yeah, he could have done something better here. Um, Junakiyamo, Toko Omori versus uh, Eruption Hideki Okatani and uh, Kazusada Higuchi. Ah, I did it. I think I always have trouble with his first name. Or I guess maybe that's his last name. Either way, it doesn't matter. Um, to me, the best shit in here was Higuchi and uh, Omori. Um, just because we talk about Amori, Higuchi, Amori was Amori was into it. He yeah, was really into this. I talk all the time about Higuchi being like the hoss of DDT, which means that he's not really that big. But you see him in here with Amori, who is you know very like bigger than him, and he's still able to play it up while also showing off that weakness, is which is a thing that I love about Higuchi: his selling, his ability to have pathos, his ability to. To get you invested in him, he's not just an unbeatable monster. He's he can play that role, but he can also do. And this is the stuff where I talk about where I, I hope for him to leave DDT and get to show off what he can do, like something like uh, what what uh, Shingo has done in the past, Shingo Takagi, um, where you saw like oh you know he's the he's the big guy in the junior heavyweight pool, but once he showed up against the heavyweights he won't. But then he you know had those champion carnival runs where he held his own, and you could just see it here where Higuchi could could easily do the same thing. And he's probably even taller than Chingo, really. But still, it's like, okay, yeah, he doesn't have to just... He doesn't have to only be, you know, the monster who wrestles against smaller people. You see kind of... You kind of get worried about that when you look at guys like an AEW, right? Like someone like Wardlow or, or Powerhouse Hobbs even, where you think like, okay, if these guys were wrestling against like WWE big guys, they wouldn't be able to pull this off because they all they are is like a monster against small people, right? But Higuchi shows it here against Amori, like, yeah, like, okay, he can go, because he's selling, he's selling that he's smaller, he's bumping, which actually, this will play into the main event, I didn't even think about it, um, he's, uh, he's really, like, making that size difference mean something, getting you emotionally invested, while also not just, like, becoming just, like, a completely shrinking violet, he's still looking like a kick-ass badass, um, obviously, Aki Akiyama is still one of the greats, um, I know, I think the age difference is pretty noticeable ah you know yeah yeah it is it's like 10 years age difference but i was gonna say akiyama and sting man these two old men but sting is literally 10 years older than akiyama but either way akiyama yeah, does sting is a ton li- more li- literally 60 yeah but but akiyama does a ton more and is actually a much better wrestler but either way well, these, these old men like akiyama is so good and i just watching this watching the limited show and it struck me like the akiyama exploder like how at this point after this many years of this motherfucker wrestling, and so many people, maybe not enough, 30 years of wrestling, so many people studying this fucking All Japan tape, all this, how is it that nobody hits an exploder like Akiyama? How is it that still to this day, this motherfucker hits the exploder suplex and it looks better than any other wrestler in the fucking world? That's the kind of shit that's just, again, this is why Akiyama's a legendary all-time wrestler. And probably the best of the pillars. Um, but yeah, like, how? How? Tell me how that happens, man. 
I, I mean, I don't know. I think like. I think there's something to be said that for some reason people just never viewed Akiyama as cool. The way that they never like see like oh like Kobashi and his chops and stuff like that or like an orange crush and everything like cool or Masawa's elbows and everything are cool. The Tiger Driver's cool, all that and like I don't know. To me, I always like yeah, like I like Masawa uh, Akiyama's different variations of suplexes way more than any of that stuff. I've always I've always felt that way though, but like. I'm also someone that ranks Akiyama above all of them, so clearly I'm a little biased there. <laughs> yeah, of course, of course. I mean, that's that's just kind of a, the cross that me and you bear, I guess. You know, we're just those guys. But yeah, I guess I guess I get what you're saying, right? It's that people didn't they didn't study the Akiyama tapes like they should have, you know, and they that's why nobody like knocks it off exactly as well as as he does it because nobody's trying to do it as good as Akiyama, yeah. right? Um, yeah, I get that. But yeah, feel free to talk about the match because I feel like I I kind of ate that one up. I oh, know you're good. Um, I really, I did think that Omori came, showed up here. I think he, he looked excited. He looked excited to get in there with Higuchi. I think that it came across like he, the like Higuchi was someone that he really wanted to get in the ring with and everything. I thought they definitely made a point to highlight the Akiyama and Okatani interactions, and I love those. I loved Akiyama eating them up and Okatani getting his spots in here and there. Obviously, Higuchi and Akiyama whenever they whenever they inter- interact are magic are magic together. So. There was stuff to like about this. Again, I might have wanted a little bit more based off of how much I love Akiyama and Higuchi's interactions, but this is still a pretty, but this is still a pretty good tag. Yeah, this was this was solid. It wasn't great. You know, this was I was watching. I was thinking, oh, you know what? This was this should be on Gleet. Like this should be a, uh, a UWFI tag team match that would rock these guys. You know, if there was still somewhere else, like I said, and, and this was. Uh, and this was uh, treated like something more important, even though it was still really good as what it was. It did feel, did feel a little bit like, oh, it's just a match that's happening, you know. Um, even if the guys in the match were giving it a lot of effort, the crowd wasn't super into it. There was like, didn't feel to me like there's much of a build here. Um, Akiyama has been focused primarily on you know the stuff with uh, with uh, Takashira, and you know, not really focused on his his. Um, feud and rivalry with, with these two even if it's always there and like another part of it is again we talked about it when akiyama was uh was the champion like he's just he's got beef with everybody in the company and he just makes everybody so much better like again it just feels like it's a it's a waste that you can't have him wrestle basically in every match is the is the problem for ddt um because akiyama would be better he would make every match better if he could be in it um all right follow this up ddt universal title three-way hardcore match uh Mao, uh, Daisuke Sasaki, and Jun Kasai. Quentin, what did you think of this? I think that is interesting to like look back at how we felt about Mao maybe like five or six years ago and think about him now. And all the expectations and everything we, that we thought of him and just to be like, you know what it was like right in front of our faces and we just didn't think about it because we just saw like this like guy who could do athletic stuff and we're like, oh, we're thinking next to Bushi. Yeah, this guy probably has just, like, the exact temperament to be a deathmatch guy in his, for, well, like, at least, like, a DDT deathmatch guy for what that is, and I'd probably, he'd probably right, be right. a good deathmatch guy in general if he wanted, if he wanted to do that, but, like, his, his metamorphosis and transition into just, like, being good at that, and that being where we see the best version of him, isn't super, isn't super surprising when I go back and think about what Mao's best skills were so this was fun i liked it i liked the blood 
there was some there was some cool stuff, creative stuff. I like the exploding tubs. That's always gonna be that's always gonna pop me on the DDT shows. That's their version of fucking kendo sticks or whatever else doors. or like Amer- yeah yeah or doors or whatever that's their version of that kind of stuff so that's fine with me uh i thought it, i thought it was fun though and i thought just the most glaring thing like at least to me what i was thinking about it is yeah i guess like i i guess this makes sense for mouse trajectory to have been this yeah and uh and that's why like you said like this is where mouth fits that's why like this was my match of the night this was the one I was talking about that stood out to me. I fucking loved this. I thought that really? it was wacky and zany in just the right ways. I thought that it was... For a DDT deathmatch, as you said, I thought that Jun Kasai brought out brought the real kind of danger and believability of like a fucking epic deathmatch. But he wasn't the only one. Even the stuff with Sasaki and Mao felt fucking violent, felt aggressive. Like it is... You know, they the, the only difference in this... And, like, yeah, like a, a Freedoms or a Big Japan deathmatch or, or, you know, like, something like that that people would say is, like, more, like, pure deathmatch kind of real shit was, like, the the weapons that they use, right? They don't go crazy with the glass and, and all that stuff. But otherwise, everything else was there. Nutty fucking bumps, ladders, tons of blood, the skewers. I just, I really fucking dug this a ton. And you're, like, you're right. A big part of it was just that. Like, having someone like Mao, who I was really excited for thought that there was something there having him just really feel like just completely lost lost the thread after this insanely promising tag team run um where it seemed like okay like he's figured it out he's doing this tag team thing with speedball that's a great you know that's been historically a a predecessor for someone doing bigger things afterwards um and, you know, running a tag team with Speedball and then becoming a big thing afterwards, right? That's happened before. Um, and uh, so it's like, okay, that's what's going to go. And then just, like, completely losing the fucking plot, completely losing the thread, just not being able to tell what the fuck is going on. And then now showing up here, and it is like, okay, this this is it. This makes sense. And not only does it make sense, but he wins the title. So it feels like a, an actual, like, kind of crowning achievement thing for him get the post-match angle stuff involved with uh with nakazawa talking about like you know defending the title in aew and all you know whatever all the like stuff that goes on with that um so then yeah it's like okay like honestly this kind of works like i said this works this is this is what i want from mal the match itself i thought was really good it was aggressive it was violent it was bloody the spots looked good there wasn't like any bullshit nothing was contrived there wasn't any shit that took like insane time to to set up they used actually the fact that it was a three-way pretty well even if there was long periods of time where one guy was gone they at least like used that to make the story make sense and like i said it was a kind of a weird coming of age thing with mal like proving that he was fucking hardcore smashing the guitar winning the match and now he gets to go on with this title and hopefully like do something with the title um and and in some ways like forge something different because it could feel like all he's doing is following in the footsteps of ueno you know and just basically winning the same title that ueno had and just doing the same thing but it actually feels like with this setup and the way that he's going from here that he's going to take the same title but do something different with it so yeah to me this was the standout because not only did i enjoy the match but on top of that 
it actually was like out of everything on the show, the thing that I come out of it with the most excitement and the most actually feeling like there was a point and actually feeling like you did something here. And it wasn't just a match just to have a match. And meanwhile, everything else on the show just felt like a match. Even the Lilico retirement match I talked about. I mean, maybe it's because I'm not invested in Lilico, whatever. But like to me, okay, you're getting heat on pheromones. Like, is that doing it? That doesn't feel to me like that's really doing anything. That's not building to anything bigger. That's not making anything matter. And again, like, that's a tough one for me to point at because I don't care about Lilico. I, I don't like pheromones. So maybe I'm just completely, it goes over my head and I don't get anything out of it. But compare that to this, where at the end of it, I actually feel like there's a focus, there's a point, there's a narrative, there's a story. And again, like I said, I enjoyed the match. It's not just 100%. That's like that feeling is what I'm basing it on. I also thought that the match was like good. And like compared to a lot of everything else on this show, there wasn't like a ton that was good. And this was actually really good. So yeah, that's kind of my uh, my takeaway on this one. Wait, what was after that? Was that uh, uh, Calamari drunk? Yeah, the tag versus team match. Hiroshima and uh, and uh, Yoshimura. Yeah. Um. Uh, <laughs> maybe it's a bit of a come down, but uh, yeah, I didn't I didn't get much from this. Um, but yeah, what did you think, Quentin? Yeah. Um. I had high hope. I thought high hopes. I thought they would be fine. I thought that maybe they'd be okay. Calamari Drinking Kings have, like, completely underwhelmed any kind of expectation I would have for them. I thought there was it was possible that they could be a fun team, and they just have not been good at all to me since they got together. And Hiroshima and Yoshimura, they've had some good tags, and I like and I like the idea of them as a team. But even they couldn't really they they might not have, they might not have been the best opponents in order to like really get anything out of these two. I don't think like. I don't, I don't know, man. There's just really nothing to, like, latch onto here at all. Like, it's not like Brooks and Harashima have great chemistry. It's not like uh, Taka, uh, Takanashi and Harashima have great chemistry. They didn't... I, I guess I like the Takanashi and Yoshimura interactions, but, like, there was really nothing to sink your teeth into here at all, and I thought it was definitely, definitely a letdown because sometimes these tag title matches can steal the show, and this just didn't do anything for me at all. You know what's a weird thing to think about here is, you know, there's always the time that we thought about um, when people talked about, like, Chris Brooks and his his excitement for being in Japan, and especially for for uh, for the CCK, kind of not the original, but the the I don't know how you would call it. What, what do you call the kind of the most uh, noteworthy version of something? Well, the, yeah, they're like they're like, you know, like the like just like the, the most the, qu- yeah, like the most no, the most no- notable version yeah, of CCK. The, the quintessential CCK, the you know, the, the the definitive CCK team, the Chris Brooks and Lycos um, team. And they're like wanting to be a Dragon Gate team. And when you think about that, you can even think of like K Dojo, you know, and that that kind of history and stuff. And this is the first time seeing Chris Brooks in DDT in Japan where it honestly feels like he's in a tag team and he's doing the CCK cosplaying Japanese tag team shtick. And I think that's why it doesn't work. Up until this point, he's been primarily singles and he hasn't done this thing. He's done something completely different, but it feels like he's falling into tropes. I mean, when they're doing the poses and the stuff that feels like the old K-Dojo pose stuff, um, you know, and that kind of things, it just, it just feels cheesy. Um... The, yeah, the, the Calamari Drunken Kings team, to me, I, 
I won't say that necessarily it feels like it's not a terrible team, but I just don't feel any camaraderie between the two. I don't feel it, feels, it, it just it feels forced. Yeah, it's they're just a team. There's nothing there to it. Um, they don't complement each other particularly well in any way. I mean, maybe maybe they'll develop. Chris Brooks has proven over the years to be very smart and very thoughtful as a wrestler, and maybe he can make something out of the team, but this was not it here tonight. Um, Hiroshima felt like he was missing in action a lot in this match. Uh, didn't do a ton. Can't blame him, really, for not wanting to, you know, go out here and do a ton in a match like this where he's, there's then, nothing to then, it. And like, Yoshimura is still, like, we like him, but it's not like we can, like, we're expecting a ton from him here in, in, a, in a spot like this either. I, I thought Yoshimura looked great. I thought he had a great look, good fire at times, really yeah, yeah, like confident. Looked, it's, yeah, yeah, it's not like he, yeah, not only like was bad, but it's like, if that's the guy that we're expecting to carry, like, the stuff, like, the, the bulk to make the match interesting, then, like, the match is already kind of in trouble. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, Yoshimura's selling was not, I mean, just not. He just is, he's missing a spark selling, you know? And and part of that is obviously probably hurt from from really developing everything that he is in the Nautilus team where he was kind of the, he was the heavy. And you have one of the best baby faces in all of wrestling, as we've talked about before, who takes most of the heat and does all the selling and gets everyone invested. And he doesn't have to do much. It's like people always talk about the Rock and Roll Express, right? And uh, and how uh, Ricky would do like all the selling, but but Bobby was actually a solid seller as well, right? Uh, so yeah, like like that's kind of the that's kind of the thing here, is uh, is that like <laughs> Yoshimura just doesn't have it yet. He's just not there. So his selling was not there. Um, when he was in control and hitting some offense, like I said, he looked good. He looked confident. Um, but that was a small percentage of the match. Hiroshima, like I said, was missing in action. And uh, that was about it. I mean, yeah, the, the tag team title change, I just... Fine. Like I said, I'm willing to wait and see. Because, as I as I mentioned, Brooks, I think, is a guy who is historically proven to be able to figure shit out. But this might yeah, be an uphill like, battle. His, his track... His- his track record is enough as to where like you want to get you want to give him a chance and see if it gets there. I just have no faith it will. Yeah, I yeah exactly. This feels like an uphill battle and uh, and it's gonna be a tough one. Um, main event time, KOD open weight title. We were supposed to rush through this and I th- I guess we kind of did. Um, we're still under an hour and we didn't only talk about this show. So, um, Ta- Tatsuya Endo, uh, Kenosuke Takashita, KOD open weight title. Um, you talked about overhyped and expecting more, and I will say I've I've never been a fan of this matchup. I've never really been big on Endo historically. I've always been pretty low on him, um, and I just I thought this is probably their worst showing, <laughs> even on a matchup that I'm not a big fan of. This was I just there's nothing there. I think it's insane to think that the best that the the smartest thing that they thought that they could do to help make endo into something more than he was was to basically strip away his personality like clearly the the burning idea is is trying to turn him into more of like a hard-nosed you know straight ahead fighter kind of guy make him be more have more of the um Stern, I was going to say sternness. For some reason, that's the word that's popping in my head, being stern, you know. Um, 
like kind of vibe that he's getting from teaming up with Akiyama. And it was just like, of all the fucking things that Endo needed, it wasn't like less personality. Right. I don't know if that's, if I'm fucking out to lunch on saying that. I mean, Endo to me feels like he's like just the notch above Sonata when it comes to that, just being way too stoic and boring and just not fucking giving me anything. Um, so yeah, whoever thought like what we need to do is put him with Akiyama and tell him to turn it down. I don't know whose fucking idea that was, but here's the, the biggest kind of sin of this matchup to me in this match especially is that we've talked about takashita trying to be presented as a giant unbeatable monster who's the ace of the company um and he's wrestling endo who's been kind of a generational rival for him and endo is basically like a full head shorter than him like when when takashita stands over him he he pretty much towers over him he hulks over him and they wrestle the entire match 50 50 endo gives me nothing to buy into him to overcoming that other than just I'm supposed to take it at face value that the Not much smaller that, Endo's, guy Endo's kind, Endo's kind of in control early on yes and throughout the entire match he never gives me any proof never shows me why I'm supposed to buy into him and believe into him as being the equal of this hulking juggernaut who is also the fucking ace of the company and you know the the biggest baddest wrestler in the entire fucking place and Endo, uh, he's just visible. And this is <laughs> this is funny because uh, when I recently did the episode with Pete, I got a feedback from uh, you know multiple time guest of the show Daniel Makabe about how he likes the old school, uh, new school vibe between me and Pete. And this is this is the old school Pete thing that I talk about. But when I fucking see this, I can't not see it. I can't, no matter what you tell me about fights and and that size doesn't matter and in real life like you know light heavyweights can kick people's ass and all, and I believe it. But when I'm watching this match, it's impossible for me not to see how much bigger Endo, or how much bigger Takashita is than Endo. And that's not to say that I can't buy into it, but you gotta fucking yeah, make but, me. But, yeah. yeah, you have to you have to, you have to, you have to do the work. You have to make, you have to do something in order to, like, make this work and make it seem credible. Yeah, and they give me absolutely nothing here. And you can even tell me the story, like Chris Benoit. Like, Chris Benoit didn't have to do much other than be a believable badass. And Endo doesn't even give me that. He doesn't come across as, like tough his offense doesn't look great he doesn't look like he's focused he doesn't nothing so it's, endo just looks li- and you there is plenty of blame to go to takashita for why this match is bad but to me i just a big part of it is endo just gives me absolutely nothing nothing to get into him nothing to believe in him overcoming this bigger better badder opponent this fucking multiple time champion who's dominated the company the person who's won every tournament in the company within the year this person who's beaten everyone in the company with fucking ease be it the biggest or the baddest the best the most technical wrestlers doesn't matter who endo comes in here and it's not just you know that all of that but it's also that he's so much smaller and there's no reason for me to believe in him and he just nothing just absolutely nothing in his performance to to get me invested to believe in him anything and then he just fucking wins and then he just fucking wins and it's just it's so upsetting because you had it's not hard to tell this story in fact some might say this is the most basic and easy story to tell david versus goliath the smaller guy overcoming the giant you know not, not, not even just david versus goliath it's like generational rivals takashita has always been ahead of him this is his like if this is any moment if there's any spot where there should be emotion here it should be this where he's finally beating takashita in a big match for the belt yeah and you just give me nothing so yeah quentin i i, I took over and on top of that this motherfucker is almost fucking an hour long 
It's over 45 minutes long, and it's just absolutely nothing. Quentin, feel free to, to, to give your thoughts. Um, I thought down the stretch they hit each other pretty hard, and that was cool. They did some cool brain busters. That was nice. Um, But I think about their 2019 match, right? And I think about, wow, that's like a top 10 match of the year for 2019. At least I thought so. I thought that was an incredible match. And it was Takashita just being an absolute dick to Endo. Just beating the living shit out of this dude. Fucking nearly killing him on that uh, on that on that brain on that top rope brainbuster attempt, everything right, and I'm like, man, this guy is really fucking on one. I love this. I love the story they're telling here, right? And how good that match was sometimes makes me think. Okay, I see Takashita and Endo on paper. Maybe they'll have another great match again. But when I think about the Endo Takashita matchup. It's only been two times I really liked it that much. It's the 2016 match where in, in Korokin and uh, that was when Takashita had first won the belt and Endo turns and joins Damnation. I really liked that match. And then there's the 2019 match. Other than that, none of their other matches really do it for me. So I just had this weird feeling of like, man, maybe I just expect way too much from this pairing that I've never actually really liked that much historically and that 2019 match is just kind of like an anomaly out of those. That um, they, that them having a match that good wasn't showing what their potential is. It's completely like abnormal to what their to what their usual uh, standard is for their matches. And there was nothing here. There was nothing from a limb work perspective, which I think is like really useful when doing matches like this. Like, they tease it early on with some kind of leg work, and then the leg work doesn't really get revisited or anything like that or made to be a focal point. Even, like, something like Takashita when he was when he was working Endo's back a few years ago. You don't get anything like that. Nothing, really. It's just a lot of aimless nothing. And I, I don't like being the one to have to say stuff like that. But it is, and we are going out there for this kind of match, this circumstances, judgment, the DDT 25th anniversary... These two generational rivals, Endo's going to win. Why aren't you really milking this for Endo? Why aren't you having Takashita just fucking ruin this dude? Why aren't you having Takashita just beat the ever-living shit out of him? We know he can do it. We've seen him do it. We've seen Takashita throw people around. He's a big, hulking, huge guy. He throws good strikes. He can he can throw down with people. Why is he not beating the shit out of this guy and getting the crowd behind it more and more? So when Endo gets to that point... And he starts throwing around these exploder suplexes, throwing these bombs, getting ready to put Takashita away. That this like feels like there's this wave of momentum behind this match. It's oddly structured and it doesn't do anything at all. If you go back to like my com- my comments about Hangman versus Kenny Omega for the title, I felt the same way about this. It's like, dude, like, where is the urgency when this is supposed to be a big crowning spot, a big crowning moment for this person? And I don't know what what it what it was with this layout. I don't know why there wasn't more direction to it. I don't know why neither of them really felt like they turned it on until the second half. I've seen them do better. And Takashita hasn't been great. I didn't like the Takashita versus Okabayashi match. Well, the type the title match. I didn't like the thirty minute draw either. Takashita has his problems in the last few months, and I'm fine admitting that. But 
God damn, man, this is supposed to be the big thing that you've been building to for like the last five years, the last six years. What like what are we doing here? Why was this just so like devoid of any type of like real emotion or meaning or build over the course of the 46 minutes? This went 46 minutes. You couldn't have built a compelling story over the course of this time. I've seen you do it. <laughs> yes. So like go out there and fucking do it. I've seen you do it before. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, but you talk about it, and you talk about this being five-year built, and one thing that crossed my mind is, like, it, it's it's not, though. This is not a crowning achievement. This is not five years of built. Endo has held this title, like, I'm saying, within a look, year. It's, it's, like, it's, the, it's the Naito Okada thing, I mean. Like, yeah, Naito can win the belt, but obviously the achievement is beating this guy to win the belt on a big show. That's like that like that's the that's the accomplishment. Beating him clean, beating him on a big stage, that's the accomplishment. This was supposed to be that kind of moment for Endo here. Like here we go. Here we are. Endo's held the belt. He actually had a pretty solid reign. He was going out there having good matches. Like we've seen him do that. We've seen we've seen him go out there and have good matches as a top guy. But he hasn't beaten Takashita in this spot yet. That's supposed to be a big crowning achievement. Takashita has went around dominating every fucking tournament for the last year. Someone beating him, especially Endo beating him, his career rival, his tag team party, these guys are going to be attached to the hip for the rest of their careers. This guy finally beating him in a big spot should be that. So it's not that it isn't. It should be. They just don't fucking, like, they're not treating it like, like they should in, like, the actual context of the match. And I don't know why. Yeah, well, I was going to say, even if even if you give them that this is not a crowning achievement, you know, this is two guys who've done this before, blah, blah. It's like, I was thinking that, and I was like, well, it's it's pro wrestling. <laughs> Lie to me. Lie to me. Tell me that it is. Even if it's not, sell me that it is. That's your fucking job. And they don't even try to sell me into believing that this is, like you said, a big deal and a crowning achievement. And the whole point of Endo finally you know, winning the big one against against Takashita and beating him on the big stage, winning the championship from him. Because up until this point, Endo has not beaten Takashita for the title. He's held the title, as you talked about, but he hasn't beaten Takashita for the title, like you said. He hasn't won on the big show like this against Takashita. Again, this is a big... This should be a big deal. And I just get absolutely nothing from it. And part of that is... You talked about it, or I've talked about it in the past many times. That one thing I've always loved about DDT in the past was like the championship could like bounce around to anybody, and anybody could be in the top of the card. They just got to get heated up, and the entire roster from top to bottom was believable as being the champion if the right things hit. But ever since Takashita has you know started his dominant reign, it's really like him. And a few other guys who really have or like already been champion. There's like almost no new champions crowned since the Takashita era started. It's just him and then other people who've won the title before trading the belt around. And really one of the only like new people in that level has been Endo. And then by the end of this match, Endo just feels just as boring and just as played out and just as the same as like it's a fucking a formality for him to win the title as Takashita is at this point. And so, yeah, it's just, by the end of it, it's like, it's complete, it's taken something that I always said was one of the strongest suits of DDT, and it's just completely ruined it. It's completely gone. We And that's part of, I think, another part of why this show felt so bad to me overall. As I talked about that, I just didn't really like this show. I've never really liked the big shows. 
but I can't see anybody else on this card with the way that they're treating them, you know, getting heated up and being the champion and beating Endo, you know, at any moment, like it used to be. It used to be I could look up and down the card and say, you know what, they could take this guy and he could win the title tomorrow. And now they're just not like that anymore. DDT is not that way. The titles just stay with the same safe people over and over again. And that's not why I like this fucking company. I like this company because they believe in themselves and their wrestlers and their booking that they're like, we can make anybody the champion and people will buy it. And it just seems like that's completely gone. That's that that. So what, are we supposed to, like, yeah, like, what are we supposed to, what are we building towards here? Or are we supposed to be building towards like Akiyama? Pro- Akiyama's probably going to get a title shot versus Endo. I think that's going to happen. But like, what's the end game here? Are we supposed to get like excited for Ueno again? Is that supposed to be it? Like, is that supposed to be the next thing? Because otherwise, like, yeah, I don't know what we're supposed to be doing here at this point. Yeah, it's not to say that these are bad wrestlers. Like, they can sit there and run a fucking random. Endo versus Higuchi match and like Higuchi finally wins the title or something, right? And like it could be a really good match. Those two have great chemistry. But like, what exactly am I supposed to be looking forward to from this company? I don't, I don't, I don't know anymore. And I don't, I don't know now. And it's like a frustrating thing because we love DDT and we've loved DDT for a while. And now it's gotten to a point where like, man, like what exactly are we building to now? And this, like, it's not a DDT exclusive thing. We're going to sit there and talk about New Japan and as yeah. much as like, these New Japan matches, these New Japan Cup matches might be good. It's the same shit. But right now, I'm like, man, like, what am I supposed to be getting attached to? Is it me, like, waiting for you wanted to finally win the belt? Is, is that it? Right. Is that the is that the biggest, like, adrenaline spike that I'm going to get from DDT at this point? Is, is Ueno finally wins the title? And it'll feel, it feels like at that point, it's like a, a formality. It feels like it's already been, like, predestined to happen. Like, yeah, again, this is... This is why I'm I I'm not burnt out, but definitely like this is why like the charm of DDT is missing from this. This is not like the old DDT as I talked about in the beginning. There, like the the the, the charm of DDT for me has always been that that they take risks. You know, the, we meant I meant we mentioned it with the the um, the oh god Takagi match like you know, the old school doing like attitude era bullshit comedy stuff. Like that's what a lot of people think of DDT. But to me, like, you know, that stuff is fun, but that stuff only spoke to the bigger picture thing that made DDT special was that they, they took risks and they did things that were out there and some things flopped and some things, you know, bopped, (laughs) you know, like some things were big and they were fucking awesome and it was fun. But DDT flew out Kenny Omega from Canada and let him wrestle their biggest fucking star in a crazy stupid ass match, right? Like and and that became something special. DDT put the championship on El Generico. No one had really done that at that point. No one had taken El Generico seriously. Everyone thought of him as a joke. And DDT was like, "Yeah, he's going to be the champion and he's going to actually have the best fucking matches in the world." Like DDT has always been that company that like or, or like or like randomly putting it on Erie. Yeah. Just like when they had like all these different people who were there, like at the peak of their powers, like a Kenny Omega, Ibushi, Hiroshima, all these guys, Kudo around, everybody around. Yeah, we're just gonna have Irie randomly win it. Yeah. Putting the title on Ken Oka, like, because he was just getting so fucking over and the fans wanted it. Like, that's what we're missing from them is like a company that takes that actually takes risks feels wild feels out there and feels out of control and yeah like when you have every fucking wrestling company feeling like all they do is the safe booking 
and DDT just joins in with them, it's it's really fucking disheartening. Because I want DDT to be the place that I can go to to see some wild shit. And not just wild shit, like when I said, like I can watch plenty of death matches and doors and all that kind of shit, but I, I want to see out there booking. I want to see crazy stuff. I want to see you, like, sight unseen, bringing in random foreigners. Sight unseen, doing, like, random, putting random middle-of-the-card men, giving them the title, giving old men the title. Like, all that stuff, like... Well, the things that stand out are, you know, Kenny Omega wrestling a schoolgirl and all that kind of stuff. That's the stuff that people remember, right? But that's all part of the ethos of the company being out there and being a company that doesn't pull any punches and just does whatever. And they're just, they're just not that company anymore. And it's fucking... Yeah, so we have pheromones. And that's probably part of why I can't stand pheromones is because pheromones feels like a pastiche of what made DDT great. Because they just do the overtly over the top, like I said, like like uh, the gay panic stuff, and have the sack hanging out and the asshole hanging out. But there's no emotion. It doesn't actually feel dangerous. It feels played out. It feels overdone. It feels like something they've done a thousand times. It doesn't feel out of control like it used to. It just feels like, oh yeah, we do gay stuff. You know, that's just part of it. And we get this, you know, you know. I think you know being in it is part of the issue. Is like it just feels like we took this guy. And we just, his gimmick is that he does crazy gay guy stuff. It's not, it doesn't feel like authentic. It doesn't feel real. It doesn't feel like DDT just being what was, off, what was the point of, of What was the point of having him with the, what was the point of having him in a unit with the, with your big, with your most pushed guy, your biggest star in the company, Takashita, just to, just for that to be the end result after everything ends. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Because it's all just, you can just move everybody around and none of it means anything and it's just whatever. And that's like, again, to me, I feel like that's missing missing what makes DDT or what made DDT great. Hopefully they find it again. Hopefully, but I just worry that maybe it's like a corporate thing. They can't really fix it because it's like part of just being corporate wrestling. Or maybe it is just like they're a little bit in the doldrums and they'll get it back. But we'll see. Um, any other thoughts on DDT and Judgment before we move move on? Uh, no, I'm good. We can, uh, hit some New Japan Cup real quick. Yeah. I was gonna say, um, run through AEW real quick as a, uh, oh, thing, but, but you know what? Like, it's not, it's, it's really not even worth it. You watch, like, a half hour of this and that, it doesn't, fuck it, doesn't matter. I, I watched the important stuff. Dax versus Punk was really it good. Was good. I, like, again, I said, I'm gonna, like, people are gonna start owing FTR some apologies this year. Sure. I'm not sure. I, I, I haven't seen... Like the reactions on Twitter and stuff like that from the people that were acting like FTR were suddenly just a bad team, but there's another one in Dax's like you know Dax's cap where he's like, yeah, he goes up there and if you give him a singles match, he actually goes up there and kills it. Right. So I really I really like that the big tag the private private party and Butcher and Butcher and Blade facing the Hardys and Sting and Darby wild crazy fun mm-hmm. as always Sting and Darby rule Sting doing the dive off the top off the Ooh. top was fucking insane because he looked he was about to die yeah. Hardy Darby doing, getting thrown down the, Hardy doing Darby getting thrown down the stairs yeah. oh my god yeah, yeah. <laughs> Darby getting thrown down the stairs Jeff in his second match in AEW doing the fucking crazy swanton which is like you know gonna be replayed and shown forever and even in pri- private party getting able to do a side effect to mat off the stage it was a bunch of crazy fun I really I really liked that saw the saw the uh, Blackpool Combat Club, I think, is yeah. what they're called. Yeah. Uh, William Regal's tough guy. Saw club. that. <laughs> yeah, I saw. I saw it. Really, really liked that. 
really am excited for what could be coming with them. Uh, Julia Hart with the eye patch, just looking off into the into the distance, was a uh, was something. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know where that's going. I don't. I don't buy that she just joins House of Black because that seems too on the nose. You know, I think that's got to do. They got to do something else here. Just like how Pac didn't join based off of his eye patch thing. Like, yeah, I think that's a, that's a bit. Uh, yeah, too too on the nose. I actually really liked that match, especially for the Varsity Blondes. I thought that they looked pretty pretty solid there in that match. Honestly. Yes, I think I think it's, it's one of the better. It's one of the their better performances on TV for sure. And I'm willing to be a lot more um, vocal on my what I've said in the past multiple times, which is that Brian Pillman Jr. is actually pretty good. Um, he's not great, but he's pretty good and can be definitely be carried by better wrestlers. He's an, he's a, he, he's he, he's annoying, yeah. and I think that because he's annoying, like obviously no one's like yeah. clamoring to go out there and go praise Brian Pillman Jr. But he's not awful he's a pretty like i said he's a pretty good wrestler and people give him a lot of shit because he's annoying online and they think that he's a dipshit and he wears like fucking conspiracy theory shirts and that means he's bad and cancel culture and all that but the thing is and and i i posted this somewhere but uh, you know it's private enough to where no one else no one will fucking see it but the thing about brian pillion jr is he's a solidly good wrestler and like people think like oh it's it's you know bad for the legacy but i guarantee that his father had just as bad takes and was just as much of a stupid oh, dipshit. Y- y- oh, fuck. Oh, fuck. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> and you just didn't know that. So you think like, oh, Brian Pillion Sr. was actually cool, but you're just, that's just you projecting. He was a fucking yeah, wrestler. Because, because, because Pillman, because Pillman's dead, it's just like, we get to like, kind of like canonize him and control his legacy in whatever way we want to. But it's like, in reality, it's kind of like with Eddie. It's like, oh, if yeah. Eddie was alive, Eddie would, Eddie, Eddie would have been a whole fucking Trump supporter. Yes. And that's the thing when people talk about Vicky Guerrero and oh my god she's doing Trump character when she comes out later and she's calling out uh, Eddie would have Eddie, Eddie would have been the same shit. <laughs> Eddie was a Texano. Eddie didn't consider himself Mexican. He considered himself a fucking uh, a Texan. He was American. There is like proof of that. He's talked about it. There was interviews when they asked him about stuff like that. I mean, they, he used it as part of his character early on when he was in the. Um, Oh God, the Gringos, Gringos Locos, right? Like he was intentionally meant to be. He was white. He was fucking. He was a Gringo. He was not Mexican. He was a foreigner. People forget that, but yes, like that was part of his gimmick. Like, and that was not just part of his gimmick. That was part of his real life personality. So yeah, again, like I love Eddie. Yes, like, he's of like course. legitimately one of my top five favorite wrestlers ever. I love the guy. If he was around today, he. <laughs> you wouldn't think so highly. He's not of a woke him, king. He is definitely not a woke king. Just yeah. But yeah, it's, it's, it's the same thing with Pillman here. It's like like I think we can get to like canon, canon, canonize his legacy and kind of like make him out to be whatever we want to make him out to be. But yeah, it would not shock me if, like how Pillman would have thought would have thought about some things. Yeah, exactly. Would, wouldn't shock me at all. You're telling me this guy who's like you know Booker Man and talking about all that stuff wouldn't be a conspiracy theory weirdo just like his fucking son is? I mean, come on. I think oh, we all know. Dude, you can't yeah. t- you can't tell me that Pillman wouldn't have been a QAnon. Dude. Oh yeah, I'm I'm I guarantee that we could find some fucking coast to coast AM footage of uh, of Brian Pillman Senior talking about the moon landing being fake, you know, and that's the gateway. Either way, um, uh, Chris Jericho. I want to talk about the Chris Jericho promo. Just the sign off. That's entertainment. I think that's a great line. I think this is the thing about Jericho. Like, yes, he's bad. Yes, he's cheesy, corny. But every now and then, shit hits for him. That's his thing. Jericho is that guy. You know, you you ask a hundred women to sleep with you, and one of them will say yes. Like that's what Jericho does. He throws everything out there, and every now and then something and so, hits. And so, something will hit. Yeah. something. Yeah. So that's entertainment. That's a that is a fucking great cutoff. Like end of the promo line for for the sports 
Esports Entertainment Group. Either way. Um, yeah, moving on. Le- Cole, Lethal, whatever. Hirsch, Red Velvet. I thought was fine. I got, saw a lot of hate. People talking shit on it. I actually thought the match was pretty decent. Uh, Sammy Guevara and Ty Conti. Uh, natural heel group. Natural heel pairing, but for some reason are being pushed as baby faces. Yeah, this is fucking stupid. I don't know. I don't understand. Look. Yeah. <sighs> Sammy isn't a baby nope. face, man. Like, Never has been. The fuck? Never will be. <laughs> He's not a baby face. Yeah. Ty, I can get it. But I look at Ty and the heel thing probably would come a little bit more naturally to her. Yeah, I think it'll work. I think that she could be easily be a heel. She's got the right personality for it. And with Sammy, I think it'll work really well. And honestly, it's not a bad thing. The only problem is this is once again a point where Dan Lambert is trying to be the biggest heel in the world. And he's going up in promo battles against people that everyone naturally wants to hate. And nobody actually wants to hate a Dan Lambert type of guy. Like, I got into a Twitter conversation with uh, Sidney Bacavella, the old Chikara manager, wrestler guy, um, about Jim Cornette. And, like, I find Jim Cornette entertaining. I find Jim Cornette interesting. My issue with him is that he's, like, insanely homophobic. He's racist, and he's one of these holier-than-thou, like, I'm actually a liberal and I support stuff, so I, I can't be racist because, you know, I want things yeah, to be I fair. Can't, I, can't, I can't be these things because I actually hate Donald Trump. Yeah, exactly. He's one of those kind of guys. But, like, Dan Lambert is the same thing but without the baggage. He's entertaining. He talks the, the right kind of shit because I believe and I agree with most of the stuff that he says. And I just don't really find him that obnoxious. And there hasn't been any proof that Dan Lambert is racist, right? There hasn't been any proof that Dan Lambert is homophobic. So at this point... No, obviously it's not like... I understand being on your toes with wrestling characters. But it's like... Or people in wrestling. But it's also like... I think all he did was like... Say the the term snowflake, I'm pretty sure. Yeah. And like that... And I I think that's where... That's like literally where all this Dan Lambert stuff came from. Yeah, so and like I'm like I'm and like I've been wreck and like honestly like since Dan Lambert's come in I've been racking my brain like like am I missing something? Did he like do some like egregious shit that I just like <laughs> completely like missed out on? Like maybe I should like dig deeper into this. I'm like, was it really just over the snowflake thing? Yeah, that's like the biggest backlash on him. But yeah, I guess yeah. My my point just being like there's. It's really tough for him to be the heel against these people because they keep putting up against people that like you just naturally dislike. And there's not really anything about Dan Lambert that I'm supposed to hate other than, you know, he talks... He's annoying. He's annoying. Yeah, but I'm like, eh, he's annoying, but, like, he doesn't... he doesn't really come across like that much of a dick, so whatever. So yeah, um, yeah, another another example of just whatever. And then the main event, the Jericho Appreciation Tag Team Match. So, okay, I know that the official stance of this podcast network and the connections to the podcast network from Joseph Montecilio is that Chris Jericho is actually really bad. Um, but he is clearly on like a late in career push for like getting over with wrestling fans, maybe trying to get over with younger wrestlers to help bolster his legacy. I think Jericho really does want to be remembered as one of the greats because he comes out here and this entire main event is just him bumping and selling like crazy for the dark order for the beaver boys. Um, and then the end of the match is, uh, Dan Garcia comes in, locks in the Scorpion, and gets the win. Like, Jericho took none of the glory, bumped his ass off, like, sold huge, and then let his his underling, young boy, get the win and look good. And it's just like, uh, it's hard to be like, 
I fucking hate this guy. Other than if you just decide, like, you know, he's doing this with an ulterior motive where he's intentionally trying to get over and build goodwill, which is not out of the question, but it is, like, very interesting to watch because, yeah, this, like, I think Jericho really is on, like, a reclamation tour and he's trying to win over a certain section of the, the wrestling community with this new gimmick and this new group. No, I, be- I, be- I believe that. I just, like, with anything with Jericho... Like, I don't... Well, the issue with Jericho is never... I don't think he ever has an issue with putting somebody over. I've never thought that with him. Like, even with the MJF stuff, he gets the win, but, like, he he's he's having a high-profile free with MJF. MJF got to throw him off of a cage, all types of shit. Like, even with that, that's getting MJF over. So, like, I've never thought of Chris Jericho as, like, the typical, like, Triple H-level politician, I'm selfish guy. He, like rubs off of other people's shine for sure but do i think that he's like the classic ego trip wrestling politician i don't think so so like while he is doing this i think to like bolster himself and give himself some kind of credibility like look i can see into the future daniel garcia is gonna be something in his business one day even though anyone with a brain has known that about daniel garcia for the last two years you know it's something that jericho will say and jericho will take credit for and like whatever who fucking cares but yeah, like, I think there's nothing really I, I can say bad about Jericho if he's going to go out there and let Daniel Garcia, who hasn't gotten any wins on Dynamite or whatever, go and get a big win on a Dynamite main event. There's nothing, I can't really say anything bad about the guy well, if, that, if that's what's going to be happening. Yeah, here. and like I said, it's not just Garcia. He also bumped and sold huge for the Beaver Boys. He made John mm-hmm. Silver look great. Like, you know, so it, was, it wasn't even just giving Garcia the glory. It was also that he sold huge for... John Silver and Alex Reynolds, like yeah, so he was he was giving it all to the to everyone else. Like there was not. Oh, much. And, if, and if I'm and if my count was correct, I think this is the third Dynamite main event for John Silver. Just something yeah, to keep which my is eye awesome. For. And I I tweeted this one out, but I 100% mean it, so I might as well say it on here. But AEW existing for a lot of reasons is very good, but one of the main ones is that a guy like John Silver has always deserved to make a living in professional wrestling with how good he is, with how talented he is in so many fucking ways. And AEW makes it possible for something like that to happen. Because with WWE being the only big wrestling, there was never a chance for John Silver to be able to make a, a, a living and a career off of wrestling. And that's that's one of the biggest positives that you can give to AEW existing. All right, is that, is that, is that we have, have on AEW? Yeah, that's it. New Japan Cup time. I think we got through that pretty quick. So. Okay, um... I saw Kadashima. Okay. Uh, did you see that? I did. I did. What'd you think of it? Um, I'm trying to remember. Let me see. I got. I have notes. I, I took notes on everything. Let me. Uh, let me see. Where is this Kadashima? Oh yes. Um. Yeah, I thought that Okada actually got up for this a ton. He gave a ton to Shima. He was bouncing around huge, um, and uh, and and felt like he actually went out of his comfort zone for the first time in quite a while. Um, so yeah, I, I really enjoyed this. I thought that Sima did a really good job of, of playing like a mix of being a veteran, but also being like, um, how do you put it? Like being pushed beyond his, his limits. Um, so yeah, it was, he was poised, but he was also kind of questioning himself throughout. I thought, yeah, I thought it was really solid. I a three star. I gave this a three star. What did you think? Yeah, I thought this was, I thought this was really cool. Actually. I liked it. I liked it a lot. I thought it was, a. Uh... Very fun match to see Okada and Shima together. Like, obviously, we know Okada's background and everything, and 
seeing Shima get this push, get this push in the New Japan Cup has been a nice little thing. And they see them go out there, and the crowd really get behind Shima at points. I thought it was super cool. So I thought it, I thought it was good. Nothing great, not reinventing the wheel, but I thought this was that was a super fun match. And then like the two main ones in the quarter in the, for the quarterfinals, we had Hiromu, Ta- Hiromu Takahashi versus Shingo Takagi, and we had Will Ospreay versus Zack Saber Jr. Let me get out the way. I thought both of these matches were really good. I like both of these. The Shingo Hiromu match was the most I've liked Hiromu in a while in a match, and obviously Zack and Will always have great matches together. Here is the issue. Why the fuck did Hiromu make it this far if he wasn't going to just win the, win it or make it to the final? What was the point? Yeah, there's no... I don't see because any point for what, him losing here. Yeah. Dude, New Japan Cup. Historically, we know what New Japan Cup has been used for. If you're telling me that we're back at a point where it's Okada, Naito, Shingo, and Zack. Uh, like, we've seen the Zack-Naito match a million times. We've seen Okada-Shingo. What the fuck are we doing here? What exact what like what exactly are we doing here for New Japan Cup? Right? Are you trying to build up to just a really big match in April? Do you think that? Or are you trying to renew like reignite Zach's flame? Like I don't I don't know exactly what's the point of what the point of this New Japan Cup is. But to me, I don't understand how you could have Hiromu make it this far, and then just not go all the way with it. I don't see the point of it. And I understand the whole hierarchy of juniors and heavyweights. I get it. Like whatever. Like at this point, the it gets super real. It gets super fucking blurry on what on what on what that means. Now it is. It gets really blurry. I just don't know what the point of it was when Hiromu is like your key to some of the only fresh matches that you have left. That's just the truth of this. Hiromu versus Okada. Even Hiromu versus Shingo here. Hiromu versus Naito that we never got. Hiromu versus Will again, but we haven't seen that in a few years. I, I, I would consider that fresh. Hiromu versus Ibushi. Like, he's your gateway to some of your to some of the only fresh matches you have left. He is a big star. People do view him as a cred, as a credible guy. Just what was the point here? I don't I don't get it. Like, maybe eventually that still is the plan to move Hiromu up. Maybe he makes it into the G1 after doing the best of the Super Juniors tour. I have no fucking clue. But I just think it's a little strange to not just go all the way with Hiromu there, in my in my opinion, and just do like Okada versus Hiromu for, at um at whatever the April show is, like I think that they, like and that kind of overshadows to me like two really good matches. I loved the pace in both of those. They didn't they didn't go overly long. They're both I think Hiromu Shingo maybe like eighteen minutes. It may have been a little over twenty minutes, but. Still, like, nothing egregiously long. Same thing with Zach. Same thing with Zach and Will. I love the pace on both of those. Love the leg work. They actually both had leg work. I thought Will sold his leg really well at spots. And same thing with Shingo and Hiromu attacking his leg and trying to find an advantage over the bigger, stronger guy. I loved everything about those two matches. I just left it with, what? Good matches aren't cutting it at this point. What are you going to do to make me interested? And Okada versus Hiromu would have done it. So... What exactly are you waiting for? Yeah, if there was any time to do it, it would be now. I'm just I'm trying to remember, did Hiromu end up in the G1 during the pandemic at some point? I, no, no, he did some uh, some replacement matches. Okay. So oh, he like, yes, had yes, like a replacement match versus yeah, Ishii yeah. Fill, filling, filling, filling in for some of the, filling in for some of Naito's Because Naito spots. went out, yeah. Okay, that was it. Because I was like, I swear he ended up in the G1, but that was it. Okay. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm 100% with you there. Um... And I will echo a very similar 
Um, point with, and you know, whatever. He's been in the G1 multiple times, but Jeff Cobb. Like, you know, it's not the same. And even Shima. <laughs> like, you had three guys here that you can get some fresh matchups with. And I really expected that we would end up with a Cobb and Osprey match in this New Japan Cup from the way things were building. And you just didn't you just didn't do that. Right? And, and, th- and think about how fresh and think about how fresh that match yeah. is cuz that like that cuz when they faced each other at Madison Square Garden it was a great match. But now that feels like ages ago and like Jeff Cobb is a whole new person and so is Osprey. Yeah, that's two totally so, like, different wrestlers. So now like again like that's one of the few fresh matches we have left. Again, still didn't do it. And this was a great setting to do it and not really burn it. It's a fresh matchup on paper. It's a fresh matchup to watch, but they're still in the same unit. They're forced to wrestle each other because it's a it's a tournament. And it's a one-and-done, one-off match where at the end of it, that's it. There's no you know heat. There's no animosity. And then you still can save it for later to do the big match, the big drama match where you have you know, actual fucking stakes behind it. So that's a perfect match to throw in here. And as I said, like, like Shima, like any of those guys, Hiromu, Cobb, Sima, could all replace Naito, who, I hate to say it, but Naito feels completely out of it at this point. I don't, I, you know, Okada and Shingo are fresh enough. Zach, Zach is Zach at this point, and I... It's fucking insane. I talked about it last week when I said watching Zack versus Hiromu, or watching Zack versus, um, oh god, I can't even remember who it was, but, you know, saying, like, that match could have easily been, like, that the way Zack wrestles could have happened in WWE, right? Um, and, like, to be at the point now <laughs> that I am, oh, Zack and Doki, that's what it was, um, to be at the point where I am now with Zach, when Zach is the only wrestler, and this is this is great after this last year, the 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 pandemic list. Zach is the only wrestler that me and you both had as our wrestler of the year so far on doing these lists. That's he, he's the only person who's ever been the number one wrestler for both of us, um, and where he is now, <laughs> where I'm like, eh, whatever. He's in the top four of this, and uh, and it's it's fine, and. But, but, but even then, like you, like obviously we don't like we're not like super emotionally invested as we might have been before. But then you watch Zach versus Will, and you're like, oh shit! Like, yeah, Zach when he like when he when he gets the chance is also one of the best wrestlers in the world still. Yeah. <laughs> and I said when I first watched the Will versus Zach match that the match kind of poured through me, and then it just felt like it was over. I just didn't. Nothing grabbed me on rewatch because I did have a chance to rewatch it since then. Um there is a lot of really great drama in here and you talked about it one of the issues with osprey he's one of these guys he's a feast or famine guy and it sucks because when you feast it's so great and it's why i've always been had such a hard time with him because there's been times where i really fucking love osprey there's been times where i was the highest person in the world on osprey and there's also times where i feel like i'm on an island with how low i truly am on will osprey the leg selling. You mentioned the leg selling from Osprey here. There were moments in here where he did some of the best leg selling that I've ever fucking seen. But then it just completely disappears and it's just gone and there's just nothing. And that's where I just say like the feast or famine thing is so tough because when I watch this guy and I see what he can do and then I watch him just completely lose it and it's just gone, it makes it me so hard. It makes it so hard to want to invest in him. It really does. Like, 
a lot of people dislike Will because of him being a piece of shit. A lot of people dislike Will because he's really fucking annoying. Uh, a lot of people dislike Will still for some reason because they think that all he does is spots and has no psychology. Um, I dislike Will because I know that he can do better. <laughs> like, that's my biggest issue with him. I actually believe, and you know, like I said, I'm the only motherfucker in the entire world that voted for Will Ospreay in the GWE. I'm the only person who said that Will Ospreay is one of the 100 greatest wrestlers of all time, right? That's proven fact. Um, I think that this guy is fucking great. I think that he can be great. But now, now in 2020, you know, 2022, there's tons of people who have said that Will Ospreay has had the best year, the best wrestler in the world, the best year of, of, of a wrestler in the history of wrestling, right? There's people who truly believe that now. Um, and I still think that I believe that Will can be better than anyone really even realizes. Because when I see the moments where he he is great, he is one of the best fucking wrestlers that's ever existed. And probably the greatest wrestler that there could be. But there's so much stupid fucking bullshit. And there's so much just forgetting, dropping the narrative. And there's so much just over the top. Like, again... One-legged bridge. I know how much you love that, but yeah, when you when you just completely forget the leg for minutes at a time and then come back to the one-legged bridge, it's re- it's really tough for me. And yeah, there's there's some great drama in this match. There's some there's some really impressive stuff the, from the that. Se- the sequence the sequence with the pin combinations like yeah. was really fucking crazy in terms of just like the pace and like how could you not just be completely out of fucking breath after doing that? Yeah. Like I always talked about like how like underrated I felt like Zach's cardio was. Because to do some of the stuff he does on the mat and to not look winded takes ridiculous cardio. Yeah, and that that mat stuff, if you talk to people who wrestle, if you talk to people who physically do it, the stuff on the mat is more physically difficult and takes more out of it. Me and you have experience with wrestling. We, we, We both wrestled, you know, amateur style wrestling. Maybe not, you know, this kind of wrestling. So you know that the mat wrestling may not look as impressive as jumping around, but a lot of times takes a lot more out of you especially cardio physical like the exertion all of that like really takes it out of you compared to everything else so yeah when you talk about the stuff that zach does and and that people underrate how good his cardio must really be to be able to do those transitions and all that back and forth and yeah there was some great drama in here and and yeah like but i had to rewatch it because i because it's so difficult for me not to think back to the first time that these guys were wrestling each other in that Evolve match at WrestleMania weekend and it feeling like such a big deal, you know. Uh, it was it was like this big fucking huge matchup built for the ages and then like how epic and everything that was and then now we're at this point and uh, two, two guys who I've absolutely loved, two guys who I've absolutely been disappointed in, um, two guys who... I've had ups and downs with how I feel about them as people outside of wrestling. Um, and then they deliver this, and I see it get tons and tons of praise. People just go nuts for it way higher than I than I am. Um, and it's, it's... I don't know how to put it, because it's like... I feel like I appreciate it just as much as you, but I can't... Or not you, like Quentin, but the people who I see praise it. The people who go crazy for it. I feel like I appreciate it just as much as they do right but the problem is is that i have the nagging bit in the back of my head that tells me it should be better and that's why i can't just love it the way that other people do 
And that's like the hardest part with both of these guys. And that's why every time these motherfuckers wrestle each other, ever since the first couple of times, and ever since Britt Russ is dead, it's so difficult for me to really judge it. Because the match itself almost takes a back seat to the hangups that I have emotionally when it comes to both of these wrestlers. So that's that's kind of it. Um, <laughs> yeah, Quentin, I think you, uh, you kind of gave your thoughts, or do you feel like you gave your thoughts, or did I talk over yeah, you? I gave my, yeah, 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 I gave my thoughts enough. We're good there. Yeah. Uh, three and a half stars. <laughs> so that's <laughs> that's how I feel about the match. Yeah. Um, I guess we're in, the, we're in the final four here. I think it's what is it, Zack Shango? Or is it in Okada Naito? Or is yeah. it Zack Naito and Okada Shango? Oh, what, what the, the, the final matches. Oh, shit. I should yeah. have that pulled up. And I did earlier, but I I close things. As I go, I like close my tabs and I don't uh, I don't keep up. Um, should I waste the time to, to pull this up? No, it's okay. <laughs> can, it'll take me like maybe a half a second either way. Um, either way, we have the finals coming up. We're pretty close, honestly, to, to when it's happening. Um, so, yeah, it's Shingo Zack, Naito Okada, which feels Man, like... Two Okada Naito two, two Okada Naito matches in a couple months. Yeah. It's like... It's fucking weird. That was exactly <laughs> what I was going to say. It feels like a weird way to book that, but, you know, whatever. Zack and yeah, Shingo I mean, should I guess, be good. And I'm, I would assume Naito wins that, I yeah, guess. I'm, like, thinking back to, like, telling myself in... 2014, 2015. I feel like that there's going to be like a Shingo versus Zack Saber Junior match, and how excited I would be. Yeah, it, it was really good. It was really good last year. Yeah, yeah. No, I mean they're great together. I'm just saying, like thinking back, this is I've gotten very, I've, I've just gotten very introspective about the history of of these wrestlers right now. But either way, let's right. move forward. Um, I guess if I had to predict something, I don't want to see another Naito Zack match. But I guess the story would make more sense with Zach being in K- in kayfabe, who like the one who injured Naito and stuff like that. So Naito could come back and have that match with Zach. But I also think Naito versus Shingo was just a fresher match. So like, that's probably gonna be my pick there. I think I'm gonna go with Naito Shingo. I I honestly I said this as a joke a couple times, but I think Zach's gonna win this. So I do think that we get Naito Zack. I don't know. Yeah. Shingo 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 and Zack are tied up singles wise, so like I can't I can't really call this one. Like Zack won in G one, Shingo won the title match. So like I can't really I can't really say which way this is gonna go. Like but I get e- either way it makes sense. Either way I think either way I think Naito's in the final. I think that if you tell the Zack story, it makes sense. But I also think that Naito Shingo is just the fresher match. Sure, I get that. I no, I get where you're coming from with that. I just, I think Zach wins it. I think Zach wins the whole thing, um, and I think part of it is the Naito story is perfect for that part. And then you have Zach beat him after he comes back um, to just help put him over as a prick, because uh, not only did he injure this guy, but he also kicks, he you know beats him again afterwards. When um, you put more heat on Zach, but I also think that. There is something to Zach being like uh, this kind of like a single elimination tournament specialist. And I think something just as stupid as like the fact that these tournaments are called the New Japan Cup and like the World Cup and soccer in the UK being like a, you know, World Cup kind of uh, 
a country that really focuses on the World Cup and is talked about in that. You know what I mean? Like, I just think, I think Zach becoming like a New Japan Cup kind of guy is honestly a real thing. And I think that this is, he's going to win this. And I think that he'll win the New Japan Cup a couple more times after this, because I think that that's going to be his specialty. They've, they've kind of told that story. And they've repeatedly yeah. told that story that in single elimination tournaments, Zack Sabre Jr. is very strong. Um, so I just think that's where they go. Um, yeah, I just that's that's kind of where I where I see it. Yeah. Okay. So you have what Naito Zack? I have Naito Shingo. Yeah. All right. So I guess by the time we come back, I guess the finals should have happened and everything. So Probably. We could talk. We could talk. We could talk about that. Revisit that, and then whatever else not the most enthusiastic episode of this podcast i think we just wound up being real disappointed right a lot of decisions that got made here <laughs> yeah yeah and oh you know what talking about the new japan cup it did it did remind me of something that crossed my mind recently which i thought about which is thinking about new japan booking i was thinking about the g1 and how the g1 is like the focus of the year for new japan and i was like that's so weird that their booking is built around that way but then i thought about it and i was like that is so the most basic like sports booking right because most sports leagues are built around the playoffs just like a tournament like the entire yeah sports league is built around one big tournament right and like yeah whatever yeah whatever it is like whatever their version of the, of the playoffs yeah. is and yeah yeah and so like yeah so new japan's entire year is built around that year's big tournament the only difference is like other sports just don't wrestle outside or don't they don't have matches outside of the the season that are not part of the tournament and wrestling just kind of continues. But yeah, I was like, Oh my God, like that's, you know, that's sports. <laughs> All sports are built around one big tournament. It's just new Japan. Their one big tournament is the G one. And it just, that crossed my mind recently. And I was like, Oh yeah, that makes sense. So the new Japan cup is kind of like a, um, Pan American games or, or something like that. It's the world, it's the world games. It's the smaller version, so that's why, like, yeah, like someone like Zack Saber Jr. can win those because other people focus for the the Olympics. They focus for the G one, and Zack focuses, or Zack is there, ready to break through on the uh, the smaller tournament. You know, so yeah, I had thought about that. Either way, Quentin, that was uh, that was kind of my last thought. All right, so I think we're good to go on that on that note then. Thank you all for listening this week, and I'll be here next time. Walk in your rainbow paradise. Strawberry lipstick, state of mind. And the thought I get so lost inside your pride.
have to say you love me I just wanna tell you something lately you've been on my mind So screaming out Ooh, walk through fire for you Just let me adore you Yeah, I'm screaming out Ooh, walk through fire for you just let me adore you Like it's the only thing I'll ever do 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 I'm screaming, I'm screaming out, I'm screaming out Walk through fire for you just let me adore you I'm screaming out Ooh, through fire for you Just let me adore you Like it's the only thing 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 Like it's the only thing